Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 19. This will be our last Sunday in Psalm 19. As we take a, uh, an extended look at the, the Word of God and the authority of Scripture. And really, Psalm 19 is expanded upon in Psalm 119. And, in, and, and we'll, we'll quote uh, from several places in Psalm 119 this morning. But it really is... Uh, and, you know, if we spend four weeks in Psalm 19, if we uh, would calculate that out, 14, that would be 43 weeks in Psalm 119. So Psalm 119 is, you know, like 158 verses long. It goes on and on, and, and it, it repeats so many themes again and again. The authority of the Word, the graciousness of the Lord, the, the longing that David has for the word of God. He said, my soul would have languished. My soul languishes in, 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 in desire for your word. All right, so that's, that gets us going. If you're able, would you stand with me? And I'll read the entirety of Psalm 19 this morning as we finish it up. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us today. That our eyes and our hearts would be open to your word that we would understand what you have for us, we would understand what your word says, that it would penetrate us, Lord, that it would stay with us, we would not be like the man who walks away after looking at himself in the mirror and forgets what he looks like, but your word would come in, and the word of Christ would dwell within us richly and stay with us, that we might live it out. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 19. It's for the choir director, a psalm of David. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them He has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run His course." Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression." Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, we have examined how God has revealed himself in creation. And just to review that, let me remind you what Spurgeon said. The expanse is full of the works of the Lord's skillful creating hands, which set forth his care and workmanlike action to meet the poor comprehension of mortals. That's us. In the expanse above, God 
above us, God flies, as it were, his starry flag to show that the king is at home and hangs out his estuan, his shield or coat of arms, that atheists may see how he despises their denunciations of him. He who looks up to the firmament and then writes himself down an atheist brands himself at the same moment as an idiot or as a liar. So that, that gets us going in the first portion of, of the word in particular. And then we've looked at the first two characteristics and the effects of the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. And this is God's, when we say testimony of the Lord, this is God's self-witness about himself. This is him saying, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I work. So just to reiterate once more, this is why we look so closely at the Bible. This is why we spend our time digging into it. This is why we don't just uh, open the paper and read the times and uh, catch up on the day's uh, events or the week's events. We dig into the Word of God, for it is the Word of God, and by it, God and the truth about God is known to us. God doesn't give each believer our own little personal revelation our own personal understanding about him he gives us his word and this is what he wants us to know about who he is about how he functions about how we are to live about our salvation about our sin about all of these things he gives this to us he gives us his version and we're to, we are to understand it as best our human minds as finite and as limited as, as they are can understand it through the illumination of the Holy Spirit we are to live it out it's our guide it's sufficient for God's purposes in our life and in the lives uh, and in our lives and without the word of God and without the truth that is here we have no hope of understanding the things of Christ that without the word we're not going to understand the things of Christ so let's get into three through six those descriptions about the word as I said, we looked at the uh, first two. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Now we come in verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now, I don't know the last time I used the word precepts in regular conversation. Uh, there is a Bible study called precepts. Um, but uh, really, uh, the, the word precepts is principles, doctrines, truths, guidelines, things like that. So the doctrines uh, of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart. So you can look at Scripture and see the, the, the doctrines that the Lord has given us, and he says they're right, not, not so much as opposed to wrong. Now we're going to make the assumption that his doctrines are right, okay, because the Lord is not the author of chaos. But it's, remember how we're, we're looking at this, it's the right path. It's the right path to be on. Okay, not only are they factually right, but they lead us in the right path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Okay, remember, and it's not so much that our intellectual minds need to grasp these things. It's not the eyes of our mind, it's the eyes of our heart that are enlightened. We need to understand these things so that we may live them out in a practical fashion. So that we can live the things of grace and of mercy that he plants in our lives. Scripture shows us this path. We don't wander around in the fog of human understanding. We don't run around in uh, being tossed about by every wind and wave, as Scripture says. Scripture shows us the true path. Shows us how we are to walk. 
And what are the benefits of walking on the path that Scripture says? Verse 8, rejoices the heart. John says, these things I write unto you, little children, that your joy might be full. Not that you just might have some joy, not that it might come now and then, but this is the way that your joy will be full. How? Walking on the path of God's righteousness. He says, I'm telling you these spiritual truths because if you know them and if you live them, you will experience joy. Now, joy is not happiness. You know, as, as I grew up in uh, Pennsylvania, we had a local paper, and every once in a while they'd have that, I guess this was kind of a 70s uh, thing maybe. Some of you don't remember the 70s, okay? Um, and, and they would have this picture, and they were kind of like uh, this boy and girl that were like weebles, you know, they were kind of shapeless and had kind of big bottoms, and they would hold hands, and underneath it would have a new caption every, every week, said, happiness is, okay, happiness is... Yeah, fill in the blank. Chocolate, puppies, warm fuzzies, whatever it might be. Okay, that's different than joy. Happiness can be taken from you. Okay? You have all this joy of... uh, um, You just think your favorite dish, okay? And you have this joy as you eat it. I mean, there's happiness as you eat it. It makes you feel good. And then all of a sudden, what hits you? It's the stomach flu. Boom! And there's no happiness. Okay? There's no happiness in that experience. I won't tell you. In case you have forgotten, there's no happiness in that experience. Joy is something that cannot be taken from you. It is something that underlies all that we are and all that we do, and it comes from the Lord. Okay? It, he puts that joy in our lives, and, and as we walk His path, we find that joy is fulfilled. Jesus says, happy is the man who hears my word and then does what? does my word lives my word it's it oh i just love his word and then you turn it off and walk out the door and don't live it sorry you'll miss it you're missing it you're you are missing out on the joy that is available to us now doctrine when we say the word doctrine some people some people go oh presbyterians and doctrine my goodness you know it's, it's really do we have to talk about doctrine well he does the lord does then doctrine is not a list of do's and don'ts and, and how-tos and, and, and not-tos. Okay? It's not about taking the fun away from life, living out these doctrines and, and becoming all intellectual about faith. No, it's, it's nothing like that. It's understanding these things that makes our joy complete. So if you want real joy, if you want a happiness that cannot be taken from you, then you have to do the Word of God. You don't need the voices of angels. You don't need to see the work of the Lord in something miraculous every week. You don't need supernatural experiences. You need the Word of God. You need to hear it. You need to read it. And then you need to what? Do it. That's when your joy is complete. Psalm 119, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. You are my hiding place, my shield. Lord, I wait for your word. When I feel like I'm being assaulted and attacked, I reach out for your word. So I hope you understand that doctrine is not a bad word. Some believers would like, oh, let's just pitch out doctrine because doctrine divides and we all want to be unity in the body of Christ. So let's unify around something that we can all agree on, okay? Let's go and do some work and we'll all be happy about it. Well, we we need our doctrine. Because we need to live it out. And you say, well, Randy, how do I live out a doctrine? Okay, isn't that something that is just stashed away and, and kind of 
goes in and fits together with all the pieces? Well, let's think about it. I just pick three doctrines. You believe in the sovereignty of God. Okay? If you believe in the sovereignty of God, how do you live out the sovereignty of God? Do you look around at what appears to be chaos in the world, maybe in your own life, and go, geez, I don't think God's paying attention. Well, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, then all things are done according to His purposes. And then we can, we can be at peace. We might not like the things that are going around, but we don't doubt that the Lord is at work in the midst of those things. Do you believe in the doctrine of eternal security? If you believe in the doctrine of eternal security, why in the world are you afraid of anybody? The only person, the only thing, the only entity that you have to be afraid of is whom? God. We shouldn't be afraid of man. We shouldn't be afraid of Satan. We should be afraid of the one who can affect our soul. And that is the Lord. And if we belong to Him, then we can never be taken from His hand. We are always secure. They can do terrible things to this body, but they cannot touch my soul. God has His hand on that. Do you believe in the doctrine of divine providence? Okay, providence of God working in the world, in your life in particular. Then why do we question the Lord? Lord, why are you doing this to me? He's doing it for you, to you as a believer for what purpose? For your good, to shape you and mold you into a more Christ-like fashion. Sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes, in fact, we hate it. It is painful, it is sorrowful, it is tragic and sometimes. But yet, if we believe that He is at work, he is sovereign, His hand of providence is in our life, then we will live that out. If you have any doubt, sorry, hon, Judy read this to me earlier, earlier this week about B.B. Warfield and his wife. On their honeymoon, they were in Germany, and she was in some accident and was paralyzed. And for the next 35 years, B.B. Warfield, who was a great intellect and a, a, a scholar, a, a Bible teacher at Princeton, took care of his wife, and he could not be away from her for more than two hours at a time. This is in the late 1800s through the early 1900s. I think she passed away in about the early 20s, okay, and he passed away a few years later. He never once, in his writings, does it give any indication that he questioned God's providence, that he questioned God's care for them. In fact, his writings show this great resting in, in this tragedy and how the Lord was using that tragedy in both of their lives. So I would encourage you to, to find that and, and to read about it. All right, so if we believe in those doctrines, we'll live them, okay? Let's go to the next one, the, the fourth one in verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now we can see that Scripture can also be viewed as commandments, as divine decrees. I mean, it's not just the Ten Commandments. The Lord doesn't just say, well, you might want to do this, you might want to try that. He gives us things that we are to do, okay? And those are commandments from Him. Scripture doesn't give us suggestions. These things come as mandates. These come as things that are authoritative. They are binding. Ignore at your own peril. Ignore at your own peril. And you may say, well, some of those things, you know, oh, yeah, I know it says that, but... Well, it's, it's not affecting me. I'm not doing it, and it's not affecting me. Uh, it will, okay? Those things catch up with us sooner or later. So when you're looking at the Bible and you're looking at the commandments, the idea here in these things is that Scripture takes the things that are hard to understand and gives us a way to understand them. Tragedy, struggle, 
It helps us understand what the Lord is doing in the midst of this. And these are commandments, and the commandments of the Lord are pure. And people try to fill our, fill our lives with all kinds of stuff, all kinds of experiences and all kinds of understandings. And, and we seek after things that will make us happy and think, seek after things that will give us uh, a grasp on what this world is about. Because I, I want to feel happy. I want to feel secure. I want to feel like uh, this world makes sense to me. Well, if we want to have this world make sense to us, then we have to go to the one who made the world. The one who lays out for us these things and how we are to grasp them and understand them. Do I understand why there's trouble in the world? All I have to do is read scripture. Do I understand why there's death in the world? All I have to do is read the word and understand. Do I understand the force of sin in the world? Do I understand mercy and grace and how God sustains us even in our darkest hours? Yes, it is here. Our eyes are enlightened and opened by the word of God through the power of the spirit in his commandments. David, again, in Psalm 119, says, My soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your word. My eyes fail with longing for your word. So whenever he got in this dark situation, David had plenty of them. Remember, Saul chased him across hill and dale trying to kill him. And, and, he had his, and David had several opportunities to kill Saul, but he wouldn't lift his hand against God's anointed. In those dark hours, he's longing for the truth of God's word that he would be comforted. If your law had not been my light, I would have perished in my affliction. The unfolding of your words gives me light. These are David's words from Psalm 119. All right, next one, number five. Verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So scripture in this sense, is kind of a manual for how we are to worship, how we are to address the Lord, how we are to uh, pursue and do the things that He wants. And as we mentioned earlier, the proper attitude before the Lord is an attitude of fear. And that is, when we talk about fear, for the believers, it is awe. It is uh, reverence. Okay, If you have ever been to, especially one of the European cathedrals, one of those old ones, uh, there are a couple in this country that you can get that sense to when you walk into such a structure and you see the walls go up and, and so high and you see those, those things going across and you see the big windows and, and, and there's a sense of awe because you have walked into a holy place. You have walked into a place where they, they purposely wanted you to have that sense that that's where you're going to meet the Lord. Okay, and, and often you hear people when they walk in, they suddenly start to whisper. Okay, they suddenly start to whisper. I, I remember Houston Presbyterian Church. I was a little kid, and uh, we were, of course, running around, and I ran into the sanctuary. Oh, did I get it? Because you did not run in the sanctuary. Why? Because that's where you worship God. Because it was a sense of awe and of reverence to the Lord. Okay? So there are plenty of things. Uh, so, so, so all we do is, we can't say that, that Scripture is, well, Rand, Scripture's fine. We say it endures forever. We say that not a word of it will pass away. But really, isn't it two, three, four thousand years old? I mean, can't we take the Bible and bring it into modern day and then reinterpret it so it makes sense in our world? Now, to some that might make sense. 
But what we're really supposed to do is to take the word, to go back to the first century, to go back earlier, and to understand it in context, to understand what the Lord was doing in the lives of Israel, what the Lord was doing as he walked this earth in the first century, and then come back to our world after we understand it in context and make application in our world. Okay, It's not as if we look at it and say, well, Scripture is unsophisticated, and it's kind of, uh, psychologically, it's kind of heavy and stifling, and there are a lot of do's and don'ts. No, we're to go back and understand what they were saying, dig it out in its culture, in its language, in its history, come back to our world, and then go and live it. Live it in your household. Live it where you work. Live it as you walk down the street and greet your neighbor. How do you take the things of God's Word and live them out today? That's what we are to be about. That's how you get the meaning of it, is living it out. All right, the final statement, number number six, the second half of verse nine. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. Lawyers, you understand this. This is judicial terminology. This is all about judgment. It's a divine verdict. The judge of all the world, the judge of all history has rendered a verdict and it comes in his word. He has put it in the Bible. In our world today, that's not too popular. That's not very exciting, okay? Because often we want to interact and and come to a conclusion together. I spent some time working with a church out in Portland, Oregon. And out in Portland, there are two big companies, Nike and... uh, Who? Boeing? Okay. Somebody. Nike for sure. I know that much. Okay. So uh, we were out there and we're talking with people and and they wanted to have a a group discussion about an issue that really was settled. And I'm like, why are you rehashing this? And they said, well, we have to to work this out. And I said, well, it's already been worked out. Here it is. I mean, I, I pulled out the word and I said, this is what it says. And they said, oh, no, that's not our culture here. Okay, we all work at these basically those two big companies and we all have these group sessions where we get together and we exchange ideas and we come to a a conclusion like, well, well, that's great unless it's already something that's been settled throughout history. Okay, this is the way that we live. We don't have to get together and say, well, let's let's dialogue on whether scripture is true. Uh, It's true. You want to dialogue on how you're going to apply it. That's great. But let's understand there is truth and you just don't get away from it, okay? That's the judgment of the Lord, that this is true. Now, as I said, our understandings are true, and they do what? They produce righteousness, and this is a comprehensive right for everybody. Live these things out. They will produce righteousness in your life, in heaven. God doesn't change his mind. His character is not fickle. It is, it is the right understanding. So let's look at these last couple verses. And he deals with the law and the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear, the judgments. And then in verse 10, they, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. If you watch the commercials, you know, there's always some guy trying to get you to buy gold. Okay. And when do they want you to buy gold? When the price is up. Nobody's selling gold when it's down. Okay. They want you to buy it from them when it's up. Okay. But gold has always been valuable. It has always been valuable. And then what's the next thing? Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now this was the, the culinary 
high dollar chocolate of the day. How about we put it that way? Honey, especially that comes from the comb, the honeycomb. This was as sweet and as good as you got. Okay? And, and, and he said, but the word is better than the gold. The word is sweeter than the honey. It is more desirable than anything else in the world that you can come up with. When you got gold, which is the physical thing, honey, which is the taste and, and satisfies part of our, our person, the word does that so much better than the things of this world. It is desirable, more desirable than any possession, more desirable than any pleasure. It is of supreme value. It is of supreme sweetness. Psalm 119 repeats this theme 20 times throughout the psalm. It says these things like this. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. David said, I, I want your word so much. I can feel it. I'm just, I'm, I'm lost without it. I'm literally broken inside with desire for your word, O Lord. Your testimonies are my delight. I long for your word. I delight in your commandments. I love them. I lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate upon your statutes. I delight in your law. The list goes on and on and on. David says, I just love it. I can't get enough of it. Now, how many of us are like that? That's okay. You know, we can say we, we like the Word, we want to read the Word, we have our personal devotions, but how many of us are off doing something else throughout the day and we think, man, I'd really like to be there reading the Word? And, and, this is what I do, and, and I don't think that way. And then I come to a passage like this and I go, this, this should be the desire of our hearts more than anything else. It should be His Word. And in verse 11, Moreover, by them thy servant is warned... So here is the danger that you've got to keep your way pure according to the word. So there's a warning there. And then there's the reward. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now the word here is translated great reward. But what it actually says literally is, but in keeping them, there is the end. There is the end. So you have to chew on that for a second. So what's it mean? In keeping them, there is the end. Well, what's at the end of our lives? For the believer, life, eternal blessing, eternal life, and a life that is different from this life. Now, just think about the best day you have ever had. Okay, golfers always say, oh, the worst day on the golf course is better than the best day in the office. Okay? Well, think of the best, the most glorious day you have ever had. That, that doesn't cut it when we get to heaven it, it, that that won't hold a candle to the glories that are await us in heaven and we think well i've had some pretty good days Rand. well that's fine but there is this veil of sin that touches all that we are and it'll be removed and at the end there is the eternal blessing of the lord now we receive blessing here in this earth but understand it is tainted by the sin that infects all of us but when we stand before the Lord, that sin will be removed. We'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful come in, servant. Come into the rest that I have prepared for you. He has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. He will come back and get us, okay? This is the great reward. If this is the end, the fact 
that he has these things for us. Who can discern his errors? We have to cry out for the Lord. You know, because who, who amongst us really wants to look at our own hearts? How many of us spend any time examining the depth of our own sin? How many of us examine our own wickedness, our own shortcomings, our own weaknesses? But if we're in his word, this is what it does. We call upon the Lord to examine our hearts. Lord, keep these things in our minds. Help us to understand. You can't read the word and go, oh, these things just don't apply. No, this is me. I'm seeing me in Israel. I'm seeing how Israel, you know, one moment love the Lord and the next moment they're chasing after idols. And that's Randy there because there are plenty of idols in my life and I am loving the Lord here. And the next thing I know, I am down the idol road chasing after things that the Lord is not pleased with. So how do we do all these things? How do we keep our hearts from presumptuous sins? It comes in verse 14, the very final verse, that the words of our mouths, the things that we say, the meditations of our heart, the thing that we would focus our hearts upon would be acceptable in His sight. And what are those things? The words of our mouths ought to be words of grace and words of encouragement, and words of blessing. The meditation of our heart ought to be His Word right here before us. We fill our hearts with His Word. We focus our lives on that. Out comes the things of Christ. This is why we do what we do. This is why we teach. This is why we study. This is why every believer needs to have their own time in the Word to read it, to pray about it, to, to seek the Lord so that we may love it, that we might obey it. We do not worship the Bible. We worship the God who is revealed to us in His Word. Let's pray. Lord, this is... Uh, we can hardly grasp this gift that you have given us in your word. You reveal yourself here in this word. You teach us. You shape us. You command us. You tell us what is right. You tell us how we can live so that we are pleasing in your sight, so that our joy might be made full in this world, so that we are ready to know the end, the great reward, the blessing, so that the closer we get to it, the more and more Christ-like we are, the more and more conformed to the things of Christ. And Lord, we know that to do that, His Word must dwell within us richly. Go before us, Lord. Prepare our hearts that these things may rest within us, that they may flow from everything that we say and everything that we do. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.